Everybody, welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive by. You know, we're going to keep it going because we've got the energy to do so. Surviving bad times. Expert says, don't give up hope. You can do it. He did. Yeah, you know, that is the message we need to hear. My guest today, Douglas Wallace, is joining us here today. Not only is this a message for all of us, but we're going to find out how he did it. And we're going to find out what it means to have hope. And as like I like to talk about, hope and action on the show. But let me just tell you a little bit about uh, Douglas Wallace. Uh, think about it. Grew up in, yeah, completely poverty. And when we think about that, what does that mean? But what did he do with that? Job Corps? Military? What else did he do? College? He graduated? And, and then what else? Uh, wow. School of Law? How do you do that? How do you pick yourself up? out of poverty that only we see in some snapshots in some of the best uh, box office crime movies. How do you pick yourself up? But then more importantly, how do you then really step into your true calling as he did? And what do I mean by that is it's one thing to pick yourself up and to, be, you know, step into uh, abundance. It's another thing to pick yourself up, step into abundance, and then want to help other people do that. And so we've got Douglas joining us here today. Douglas, it's so it's so I'm so honored to have you on the show. Your story is a story that so many people can relate to. But more importantly, it's the story that many people want to know about so that they can pull themselves up. Thank you for joining us on the show today. You're welcome, and it's a pleasure to be on your show. Let's tell everybody a little bit about your journey. I gave them a little snippet, but, you know, define poverty in terms of your life. Well, I come from what most people would refer to as generational poverty, which is uh, there were two or more successive generations of poverty before I was born. Yeah. In my case, it was actually four. Uh, I was the fourth generation of poverty victims. It's uh, And very few people ever escape. The kind of life that we lived is paying $15 a month rent and, and being evicted about every two or three months. Uh, you can imagine that, uh, uh, that we had one outfit of clothes to wear for the for the year. And, uh, and so eventually the evidence of uh, poverty, uh, uh, well, just put it this way. Imagine living in a neighborhood where it's normal for the police to be called to your home to break up domestic violence or to affect your neighbor. And so mm-hmm. that's the kind of life I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, that's that's the story that we're telling today. I mean, you call this surviving bad times or we talked about surviving bad times. You know, what you're really talking about is surviving a bad life for some people that grow up in that kind of arena. Um, you know, myself growing up in the Bronx and living in the projects. I mean, I know a little bit about about that, but certainly not even close to what you're describing. Um, I want to ask you, though, what is it that you can point to? that that you would say this is what helped me make a difference this is what helped me get out because what you talked about is a generational pattern here you know this situation where you cannot get out i didn't think i'd ever get out of the bronx as a kid but you know thanks to my sisters acting up my family moved us but here we are with your story 
tell me a little bit about what worked for you and what your message is for our listeners. Well, I can tell you this, that when you live in generational poverty, you're at the very bottom of the totem pole. Yep. And very few ever make it out. And the reason that is true is that we don't understand, when we're living in generational poverty, the rules of behavior for the middle class. I'm talking about simply uh, attitudes and, and uh, common courtesies. Uh, we, we, we are, the way we uh, act and behave in the poverty class is, is more aggressive. And so the first thing I had to do was to accept the fact that, that I was being rejected by the very class I wanted to join, which was the middle class. Mm. And uh, so it was, it was an immense challenge for me. I started looking at every person, every situation, every encounter as an opportunity to learn. Uh, and those teachings, whether they were good or bad, because they weren't all good, uh, I, they were valuable lessons. So it, the way I was able to get hope that I could actually make it is I was uh, creating role models out of people who didn't know that I was creating, they were a role model to me. So every, every person uh, in some way helped me develop the knowledge to be accepted in the middle class, which is the first thing you have to do in order to break out of poverty. You have to learn to be accepted by the middle class. You know, when we talk about the middle class, that must have seemed like a light years away from what you're describing. I mean, it must have. How did you how did you create the vision for yourself? I mean, if you're living the kind of poverty that you were living in, it's it's amazing that you even had the vision to get out. Can you talk about what it was personally for you that worked for you to keep your eye on a bigger picture? Well, first, I I had a lot of pride, even as a child. Uh. I I, we were living at one time. uh, We also lived in housing projects, both in Granite City, Illinois. Mm -hmm. But I grew up in the South. Mm hmm. So we were only in Granite City, Illinois, for one year before we, uh, a couple of evictions, and my father moved us back to uh, Stewart County, Tennessee. But the thing that uh, really got me uh, inspired was the fact that I was constantly receiving put-downs. For example, I went, uh, I remember we lived in a a little squalor apartment above a drugstore and had a display of candy down below uh, in the drugstore. And I couldn't wait to go down there and just take a look at that candy because... We lived in the hills of Tennessee, and I had never been into a store where there was so much candy on display. So as soon as I walked into the store, the lady proprietor, who happened to also have been our slum landlady, <laughs> she owned the place, she grabbed me by the ear and threw me on the street and said, you know, you don't, we don't allow your kind in here, and don't come back unless you have money. Now, I, was, I was six years old, but as, as young as that, uh, as that is, it, it made me realize that uh, lack of money uh, marked me mm. as something less than equal, and uh, I was I was determined to find out if if uh, if I could get out of poverty just by dreaming. So that's how I started out initially. Is okay, you have to have money clearly, and uh, so I uh, developed this uh, idea that I was going to become a lawyer. And then uh, in the third in the third grade, uh, the teacher came in one morning and she asked all the students, "What is it you'd like to be when you grow up?" Mm. So by the time it came to me, the teacher, uh, you know, I'd, I'd already decided uh, that I was going to be a lawyer. I didn't know what a lawyer really did. I just heard where they made money. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I have the same story about a Ph.D. I, I had no idea what a Ph.D. was. All I knew is I delivered mail to the Ph.D.s at Bell Labs, and they seemed to have a good time. <laughs> well, you know, as soon as I said that, there was just this low ripple of laughter. Oh, stuff. really? Yeah. Uh-huh. So I went to the principal, and I said, you know, you know, I can accept the fact that, that maybe uh, 
people would laugh at me because I wear the same clothes to school every day. And maybe, yeah. But but to to, to to shut the door and, and and say no, you will never be able to to get above where you are now, which is what uh, the the uh, classroom seemed to indicate. And the principal confirmed that he pretty much said, you know, you know, you have to learn to accept reality. You, you know, your family has limited uh, assets. You really are likely to go to college. So uh, that's when I and that was uh, I was eight years old then, and that's wow. when I made up my mind. You know what? I am going to be a lawyer, and I just set my mind on that, and I focused on it. Mm. So you didn't listen to those folks. No, I didn't. But that didn't mean I was always doing the right thing. Yeah, no kidding. Poverty doesn't always allow you to be good. Well, I mean, it certainly does challenge the very core of who you are, doesn't it? Character is everything, and, and uh, I I was able to hold on to that. I, I had somewhat of a religious experience at 12 years old. I can't really explain what it was, mm-hmm. but uh, it was a, uh, a, a mysterious uh, encounter. I was, I was walking on the gravel road on, on a uh, on a picture night, picture night with my brother, and uh, this brilliant light uh, appeared next to me, uh, and it was just emanating this enormous love. Uh, and it was, I felt, even though uh, the light was physically didn't have eyes that I could see, I felt it was staring at me, and I had so much love uh, vibrating through my body, and it, I was really uh, quite spellbound by the whole experience. And, and it communicated a message to me. Uh, everything will be all right, and, but it was words beyond words, and I can't tell you how much that inspired me, because from that day forward, I really believed that everything would be all right. So that forced me to make decisions consistent with someone who believes everything will be all right. Mm-hmm. Kept me out of trouble, kept me any focused. Although I, like I said, I had a lot of wrong turns and potholes and dead ends. Mm. You know, when we think about challenges and obstacles, and actually I've been asking this question for a really long time, you know, we think about some of the challenges that we go through on a day-to-day basis. But I have to ask you, is there any one challenge that you could think of where you thought, wow, this is it. This is going to be the thing that stops me dead in my tracks. Absolutely. I mean, it happened in high school. I uh, I was uh, involved in a uh, a violent encounter with a, a member of a gang, and uh, they, uh, they they issued a death threat uh, that, uh, that basically uh, I was going to be stabbed at 3 o'clock when I left the school building that day. Wow. I was a senior. I only three months left to graduate from high school. And uh, friends were coming up to me, and we were in, living in Nashville at the time in the housing projects. And friends came up to me and, and warned me, Doug, you, you, are, you are going to be either uh, killed or, or seriously hurt. Because I know that there are several people who are watching the exit doors. They're going to get you. So I, all day long, I just kept staring at that clock and, and listening to these warnings. And it, was, <laughs> it was like some horror movie. Uh, so at 2.30, I just got up and walked out of the building. Um, my instincts told me that's what I needed to do. Uh, and I left, and I quit high school. Now, I'm telling you, when you that is time i thought it was all over for mm. let's take a short break doug when we come back doug wallace joining us here today surviving bad times expert says don't give up hope you can do it when we come back we're going to be talking about what it means to never give up and how about those commitments what if we make them and we can't keep them should we not make them stay tuned we'll be right back with the dr pat show
Remember, for our dogs and cats to live long and happy lives, just like people, they are what they eat. Wellness carefully selects wholesome ingredients to create food you can trust to provide the foundation of your pet's well-being. True wellness means every ingredient has a purpose in every recipe they make. You can trust the quality of all ingredients in wellness from their source to your pet's bowl. Visit wellnesspetfood.com to find a pet specialty retailer near you. Wellness Natural Food for Pets. This is where true wellness begins. Do you suffer from insomnia, body aches, fatigue, brain fog, digestive problems, weight gain, or anxiety? You may be dealing with unmanaged stress. The Stress Detective looks for the hidden messages within your stress and partners with you to create a wellness program to dismantle stress from the inside out. Learn to manage your stress, and you can stop illness in its tracks. Call Susan Tyler at 888-629-4949 or visit StressDetective.net. Unlock your divine power and become the true master of your life with visionary clairvoyant Terry O'Connor every Monday at 10 a.m. on The Dr. Pat Show. Using her extraordinary connection with spirit, Terry can energetically view your true inner blueprint and guide you to your soul's highest purpose. Explore your personal connection to your authentic self and let your spirit soar as it was truly meant to. That's The Carrie O'Connor Show, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. Eastern on The Dr. Pat Show. You know, it seems like everyone today is looking for that special secret that will help heal illness and disease, make them full of energy, and even decrease their aches and pains. I'm Dr. Kat Halloran telling you this technology really is here today and is being used by millions of people worldwide including me and my patients. Scientists have developed an FDA-approved medical device for home and professional use. The Richway Amethyst Biomats state-of-the-art light technology helps to reverse degenerative disease cycles and speed cellular renewal using far-infrared rays, negative ions, and the universal healing power of amethyst crystal. The Biomat is a pad you lay on. Just switch it on, lay down, and relax. The Biomat has also been proven to help animals. For more information or to schedule an appointment to experience the Biomat, contact us at biomatinfo.com. That's biomatinfo.com or call 425 425- Three nine eight eight zero one one. You heard about it last year. You even thought about entering, but didn't. Now, Life is giving you a second chance, announcing your second chance to change from the inside out with Dr. Pat's 2010 Holistic Makeover. So get on board. Winners will embark on a journey to make powerful change with the help and support of an entire team of coaches. Want to be a winner? Fill out the survey and tell your inspired story and how you plan to pay it forward. Go to drpatsmakeover.com. That's drpatsmakeover.com. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. For more information about us, go to drpatlive.com, drpatlive.com. Doug Wallace joining us here today. For more information about him, his story, which you're going to to hear sort of the ending to this. Well, not the ending. 
so much, but the ending to date. Go to DougWallace.net, W-A-L-L-A-C-E, DougWallace.net, and check out what he is doing. Uh, Doug, thank you for joining us here today. And you're going to give some tips to people. But also, you know, your story has like a super-duper happy ending. Yes, it does. Okay, so could you fast forward before we give out some of the things that you've learned? Fast forward to what ultimately happened. Apparently, the group didn't knife you that day. Um, But boy, do I know what that feels like. Uh, And then you went on from there. So could you share and fast forward how that happened for you? Okay, uh, I I heard a a television commercial uh, about the Job Corps. Uh, shortly after dropping out of high school, I joined the Job Corps, and they had a program called You and Society, during which they uh, taught us how to uh, to recognize the rules of middle-class society, uh, just uh, strictly behavioral rules. Uh, and, and once I learned those, my career started sailing because I realized I was able to define what was holding me back. And specifically, uh, some of these things are rather obvious to people, but... Uh, my brothers and sisters never made it out of poverty. Uh, they still are locked into it. And, and I, I have on my blog that you just referenced a list of ten things that held them back. Uh, when you get a chance, I'd like to go over some of those with you. Let's do them now. Okay, the first thing is uh, unable or unwilling to follow through with commitment. Mm. Uh, second, allowing setbacks to destroy your aspirations, making it impervious to hope. This is mm. one of the largest things that you get a setback, a mortgage foreclosure, especially in these recessions, and people allow it to to, to uh, destroy their aspirations. Yeah, I mean, we get derailed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, third, uh, failure to make things right after discovering you've committed a wrong. It's very important because that creates the karma in your life, which defines your destiny. So uh, I, I always, I always, correct my mistakes. Uh, behaving outside of social norms uh, and then still uh, expect to be treated like royalty. A lot of my brothers get insulted uh, when I give them advice. They, they want me to treat them uh, as if they're a success when you know, they can't even hold on to a job for longer than a month. Mm. The, um, th- this is another important one. It's, it's hubris. Born of small successes gives rise to denial of risk and peril. I know so many people like this, middle-class people, actually, who have this great uh, idea uh, that they're going to uh, succeed because they had a, a series of small successes. Uh, you have to dream big, and, and uh, you can't just uh, uh, deny the risk and peril that is facing you when you dream big. Uh, there's also the undisciplined pursuit of unrealistic goals. Boy, how many people do we know like that? Yeah, I know. And uh, grasping for success with a quick, big solution. I know so many people. You know, going for that lottery ticket win. I, I, they got this great idea. They're gonna. I, I know a guy who was gonna write a, a screen uh, a play, and he, he, wrote the, he wrote the script, and he was a certain Hollywood was gonna buy it. Uh, that's like an example of someone who had was an undisciplined pursuit of an unrealistic goal, and he, and he wasted a lot of time with that. Uh, grasping, uh, I mean, capitulating when the going gets tough, and that one is that that is it says it all right there. If you, if you ever, it, survival is a struggle, especially in these days and times. 
there, I know uh, many people here in San Diego, they're, uh, they're hard-working middle-class people, uh, but they just have lost their jobs, or they have, mm-hmm. their hours have been cut back, and they've, they've lost their spirit of hope. They've capitulated, and they need to get that strength back and, 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 and start fighting harder. Because uh, you can only do that, though, if you really are focused on survival. Right now, uh, that's what a lot of people have to do, is keep their focus on the survival. And then the last one, uh, uh, I actually have two more. It's the, the, the failure to work hard, very hard, in everything that you do. Uh, I spent three years writing this book, Everything Will Be All Right, and I worked so hard on it, uh, eight hours a day, because I wanted to send a message to all of those people out there that are living in poverty or experiencing setbacks. You know, there is hope, and here's what I went through, and if I can do it, I know you can do it, too. And finally, the last one, and this is very important, and therefore it should not be counted as the least important because it's last, and that is clinging to people who hold you back. And those were the secrets to my success that enabled me to make and sell my company for $50 million in 1999. Hmm. Wow. So you went from such a place of despair and a place where most people can't even imagine shifting their lives as a very young person and tapped into a part of yourself that was able to dream bigger. Have you had mentors along the way? I know you say disassociate with those people that hold you back, but how about the folks that you're, have been your cheerleaders? Jeez, there are so many to count. <laughs> you know, I do know. That's why I asked the question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I didn't get to, to, to do what I'm doing by myself. Trust me. I know that. And you're right. But the, how, how, what is the role they play, Doug? No, it's a, it's a huge role. you got to imagine coming from generational poverty. I had absolutely, uh, I, I didn't even know how to behave at a kitchen table. I didn't know how to be introduced to someone uh, in, in a way that, didn't isolate me as a member of the poverty class. So I started with nothing, and I had to learn. So I took the best behaviors. I looked at people. I, I, I saw how they behaved. I looked at their successes, and I just copied them. I took the best attributes of their personality, their attitudes, and I cloned them. They all were role models for me. And every, from, from every job I held, uh, every boss, there was one particular one I talk about in the book, a multimillionaire by the name of Charles Martin, and uh, he wasn't a very uh, nice man. In fact, he was quite, quite abusive as an employer. Uh, at one point, uh, I came in with a sport coat to work, and he, uh, he ran down the, to my desk so fast, and he, and he said, who do you think you are, a used car salesman? Get out of my office right mm-hmm. now. You know, we don't allow sport coats. And I was 22 years old. I just got out of the Army, and it was the best job I ever had. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people would have quit, but not me. I went down the down. Uh, I was in downtown Nashville. I rode that elevator down, went to a cheap store, bought a full suit for $75, and spent an hour I was back at work. And I made a point of walking back and forth to his office in front of it all day long, letting him know I was, I was on the job and doing my part. You know, you can't let pride stand in the way. When we think about the day, today, and we think about tomorrow, what would be, Doug, your personal message for all of us, regardless of where we are right now, but for those, the, for those folks that do have a dream, that do aspire to step out and do something else, what would be your personal message for everybody today? And thank you so much for joining us on the show. Make sure everybody has your website. 
actually tap into your spiritual uh, beliefs, whatever that is, uh, and and cling to that because there you can you can really get strength from your uh, spiritual connection to your higher power. And secondly, I would say to them, look at where I came from. I came from four consecutive generations of deep poverty, and I made it out. If I can do it, you can do it. You have to do nothing more than to, to, to go to DougWallace.net and, and take a look at it. Uh, it's free. Just take a look at all of the advice I've given through these blog entries. I've written my whole life uh, and how I went through every segment of middle, from the poverty class to the middle class to the upper middle to, to, to the upper class itself. So I, I'd like to think I give people reasons for hope in my, my blog site. So don't give up hope and uh, tap into your higher power. That's mm-hmm. my message. Well, thank you, Doug. Thank you so much for joining us here today on the Dr. Pat Show. For more information, please go to drpatlive.com. We've got a special announcement next week that we're going to share with you. And don't forget to sign up for the Holistic Makeover. Coming up is our Perf Go Green Hour with a family tradition of exploration and conservation. Yeah. Fabian Cousteau and Linda Daniels. We'll be right back with the Dr. Pat Show. Let's go. 